0: Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Port here on the Rob Report on WDAY, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Those are the phone numbers. You can also uh, email us, talk at WDAY.com, or you know, send me a tweet, at Rob Port. I uh, have, have a lot of interesting stuff to get to today. At one35 going to talk with Chris Kopacki. He's with the uh, National Rifle Association. He's going to be on, you know, pretty soon we're, we're getting to the point where the legislature is going to be voting on uh, the bill to, the state senate's going to be voting on it. The house already voted on it, they passed it 83 to 9. But the bill to allow concealed carry in North Dakota without a permit, um, it would essentially make the class one permit unnecessary if you want a concealed carry in the state. You know, essentially, it says that un- unless you're otherwise prohibited by law, from carrying a firearm, which would mean, uh, you know, there's there's age restrictions, or some people have lost their right to uh, the Second Amendment by being convicted of a crime. Um, all of that other stuff aside, you would essentially be able to conceal carry in the state of North Dakota. There was just a committee hearing on this uh, last week, and. You know, eventually the Senate's going to be voting on this. It passed in a landslide in the House. We'll see what happens in the Senate. A lot of people have strong feelings about this. So I'm going to have somebody from the NRA on to tell us why is this necessary? Why is this good policy? We'll talk with him about that. Uh, And then also over the weekend, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about this at at the beginning of the show because I've had a lot of very interesting feedback. I, I actually, my Sunday column was about, Atheism. And, and the context was the debate over the blue laws legislation. Uh, it was voted down by the state Senate on a very narrow margin. And we heard this this rant from Senator Dick Dever of Bismarck, where he sort of went on about how the bill was the result of some atheist plot that's out to destroy the family and undermine the you know society and teach kids evolution and all this other stuff. And it, I guess it's sort of, I guess it sort of tweaked me a little bit, because it's it's interesting to me how often people talk about atheists that, that way. Um, they see atheists as this, you know, militant group of people who are out to attack religion. And to be sure, there are atheists like that out there. Those people exist. That's a that's a real group of people. They are very vocal. They are very active in the world of public policy and debate. And and they exist. What bothers me, and, and we see it you know manifest itself obviously in policy debates such as the Blue Laws debate. What bothers me is, is people thinking that all atheists are like that. And so I mentioned in my column, and I did a follow up blog post today. You know that, that that I'm an atheist. I've been an atheist for 18 years. Not so been a secret. I've, you know, I'm not. A lot of people are. I've got a lot of the messages of people are, uh, you know, congratulating me for coming out as an atheist, which is not entirely accurate because I guess I've been out. It's never been a secret in my life, and I've written about it on the blog and talked about it on the radio before. I just don't do it very often. Um. And I, I, you know, I I think I'm going to change that. After this weekend when, you know, I I wrote a column and I basically pointed out atheists are just people. Um, Some are a-holes, others most are not. Um, You know, we're, we're just, we're people, we have diverse political views, we have diverse social backgrounds, and we just want to live our lives the same as everybody else. Now there is, you know, there is that subsection of militants who you know, go fainting into the bushes every time they see a Ten Commandments monument or every time they see a nativity scene or something. But most of the atheists that I know, and I'm getting to know quite a few more as I, you know, write about this and talk about this more publicly, most of the atheists that I know are people that just, they're not out to to destroy your religion. They don't really care about your religion at all. They have rejected faith. It's a decision that they've made, and for them it's a very personal thing, and that's just how they live their lives. And all they really want is to be able to live their lives that way. That's it. It is It is remarkable, and it, it might surprise a lot of you listeners, how many conservative atheists there are these days, particularly among younger conservatives. Uh, I hear from a lot of them. It, it, it and was, it was really remarkable, you know, the, the social media messages, the emails, a couple of phone calls even, that I got from people. I I actually spent a lot of time on Sunday responding to people and it was a good thing. It was a healthy thing. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad people are feeling more comfortable with talking about this. And and I guess that's the point that I want to get across is we spend a lot of time trying to put one another into boxes, Right. We, we assume that because you have a certain religious set of beliefs or a certain, you know, you're, you're a certain race or a gender or you have whatever, and we make assumptions about a person. Right. So you wouldn't assume that somebody who is an atheist is also politically conservative. But yet here I am. And I'm telling you, there's more people like me than you might realize. I, I get so tired. It's it's really a, a sort of a part of the identity politics debate, right? Where there's this belief that because you are of a certain identity, then you have to believe certain political things. Um, and it's just it's just not the case. I we we got we've got to stop doing that to one another. Right. Senator Dever did that to atheists when he went on that rant and he's talking about how, you know, the atheist Bible or these humanist manifestos that he found online and that we have this goal to promote, you know, undermine, you know, the teaching of creationism or whatever, which which, by the way, creationism is a is a religious school of thought and really has no place being taught in schools outside of maybe just acknowledging that that is what some people believe anyway not not to go down that road but again th- that's what he did. He, he tried to put atheists in this box where it's these militant people who just want to go out and and destroy religion and undermine religion and 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 whatever and and I, I gotta tell you we're not like that. Some are most aren't in my experience and I, and I can only speak anecdotally there's not like an email list that all could you know atheists belong to, right. <laughs> There's not like a meeting that we all go to and get our talking points. That's not how it works. I I, I can tell you what what my point of view on religion is. And even though I don't subscribe to it, I see a lot of value in religion. Uh, You know, you you strip it down and you take some of the the supernatural dogmas out of it. And what you're left with are, are things that generally I think are positive, right? I mean, people coming together for fellowship. Uh, to support one another, to counsel one another, uh, to promote charity, uh, to promote being nice to one another, being gracious to one another. I mean, these these are generally, I feel, good things. I see the value in that. I understand why people want to go and participate in that. I I get the appeal. I understand. You know, the, the problem for me is I can't let go of the other part of it, which are, you know, some of the stuff about, you know, you got a burning bush talking to a guy and, and you know, a lot of this other stuff and all the miracles and everything that I just don't, I just don't buy them. I, I just, they don't make sense to me. And so I've, I have personally rejected them while understanding that there are valuable lessons from religion that I'm I'm not necessarily opposed to. I I tolerate religion. I, I want everybody to be able to practice their religion. I don't believe in the separation of church Uh, in state uh, other than, you know, other than I don't believe the state should be establishing religion or, or favoring one religion over another. But beyond that, the essence of religious freedom is inviting, not driving religion from the public square, but inviting it in, all flavors of it, all types of religion and lack of religion so that everybody can be in the public square and be themselves. That's a free society. That's what it looks like. Not driving it out, not making an atheist society, not, not, not pushing all of that out lest we offend somebody, which, by the way, also goes for, for the political correctness stuff, right, where you can't say certain things, you can't have certain points of view. We're doing that in politics now, right, where if you dissent from certain liberal orthodoxies, I mean, that, that, that is essentially the platform of the left these days is that being something other than a progressive liberal is fundamentally racist, it's identity politics, and we do it all over the place, and we ought to stop doing it. We ought to celebrate our diversity, welcome all the points of view in, and just accept the fact that we disagree with one another and just find a way to live with one another in peace. That's what we've got to do. 701-293-9000, 888 Email talk at WDAY. Talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. I want you to want
1: me
0: background report here on wday 701 email talk at wday.com or tweet me at rob port you know we uh we after the blue laws thing failed last week, we actually had on the show a uh, Fargo businessman um, who is it, – it, it's an issue. There's going to be an effort to put it on the ballot, put it that way. Um, there's multiple people. We had one of them on the show last week. Multiple people, though, saying that they are going to to push that issue to the initiated uh, measure process. Uh, as, as listeners to this show know, I am not a fan of that process, but I've been thinking about it. A little bit, and there's a, there's legislation uh, down there now. It has down in Bismarck right now. It has passed the uh, the state senate. It's coming up to a vote in the uh, in the state house, and it's it's Senate Bill twenty one thirty five introduced by uh, Senator David Hogue, Republican from Minot. Uh, by the way, it passed the Senate thirty eight to eight. Um, and what it would do is it would institute a study of the initiated measure process, looking at making some changes. And I, I do absolutely believe we need to make changes to the initiated measure process. And the changes, though, I mean, the question obviously is, though, is, is what changes should we make? And I mean, because people get, get really drippy about the initiated measure process, right? It's it's the will of the people. It's, it's populism, right? And, and populism is always... You know, it's closely associated with democracy and, and everything else. I mean, it's, it's so people get really touchy about it, like, oh, you must not trust the people. And, you know, the argument is, I mean, I, I believe in democracy, but I believe in representative democracy. I don't think it's a good idea to try to make complicated public policy at the ballot box. Because what you're expecting voters to do with the current initiated measure process, what you're expecting of voters is that in addition – To knowing how they want to vote, making informed choices about president and senators and congressmen and lawmakers and judges and school board members and county commissioners and everybody down the list. In addition to all of that, they are also supposed to understand the nuances of initiated measures that are often pages and pages of complicated public policy. I, I think both Marzi's law and maybe not Marzi's law, the medical marijuana measure was dozens of pages. Marzi's law, maybe not while well, maybe not dozens of pages, was certainly very complicated public policy. And, and so the problem is we're expecting voters to, to know all the nuances of that policy and to cast their ballot in an informed way when, when really all most of them know about the proposed policy is what they might have seen in a TV commercial or read on a website or heard, uh, you know, during a talk radio debate. Which, don't get me wrong, those things can be informative. I'm just not sure that the process is rigorous enough to pass such important policy, including putting very complicated policy in our state constitution. It is a very risky process. And so what I I have been thinking about this and, and what I would propose And, you know, another idea I had was was maybe, you know, instead of putting the actual policy itself, maybe just put the policy question on the ballot and then let the legislature fill in the blanks. Right. So the question is is not, you know, we're going to make this 40 pages of legal language law, but just the question, should medical marijuana be legal? And if voters say yes, then the legislature sets about a process for making it legal. Instead of putting, you know, because otherwise we get the, like the medical marijuana measure where we get a measure that's supposed to make medical marijuana legal but is so complicated that nobody notices that it doesn't actually decriminalize medical marijuana, which is the situation that we're in right now. So I've thought about that question. The other thing I thought about is maybe because we have the referendum process, right, which is different than the initiated measure process. What a referendum is is if the legislature passes something, a bill that you don't like you could gather up signatures and put that bill on the statewide ballot before it becomes law and give give the people a chance to veto it, right? That's a referendum. And so maybe we just do the same thing for initiated measures. Instead of allowing people to just initiate any goofy policy they want at the ballot box, maybe say, well, the bill has to go through the legislature first. And if the legislature fails to pass it, you can then pluck that bill up and with the requisite number of signatures, put it on the ballot and put it to a vote. And that way the bill has to go through some semblance of the legislative process. it has to be drafted, you know, to to meet the requirements of the legislature. So hopefully we're going to avoid some of the the goofy drafting errors we've seen in the past, notably with the medical marijuana measure. Uh, It's also going to have to be subjected to hearings and a vote in at least one chamber of the legislature. Right. So, you know, if it comes before, say, I don't know, the state house, there's going to be a hearing and experts uh, from, you know, the, you know, a- anybody who wants to could show up and testify on it. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be afforded that scrutiny. It could possibly be amended and fixed and compromised. And so I think I think all of that would be a I think all of that would be a good thing. And, and it would limit the ability of, say, a California billionaire to come to, to North Dakota and spend a whole bunch of money on his hobby horse pet project. and in, in this instance, I'm talking about Marzi's Law. And now all of a sudden it's in the state constitution bunch because basically the billionaire had more money, had deeper pockets than the state's legal industry. The prosecutors and the defense attorneys couldn't match him in terms of slapping together a slick marketing campaign. So, the people who voted for Marzi's Law really don't understand the pages and pages of legal language that we just added to our state constitution. I don't think the average Marzi's Law voter really understands that. I think it's ludicrous to suggest that they do. That is now in the state constitution. Because some, most people saw Kelsey Graham or somebody on television saying, oh, it's for victims, right? And who's against victims? The initiated measure process, is a, as, it, as it is constituted in North Dakota now, is a poor way to make public policy. Direct democracy, where people just vote on issues, is a poor way to make public policy. But it can be improved. There is legislation to study ways to improve it before uh, before lawmakers in Bismarck. I hope the state house passes it. I hope they study it, and I hope they come up with some answers that are going to make our laws in this state a little less susceptible to the whims of the initiated measure process. I think we'd be a better off state off for that. Uh, More to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about the NRA in the next segment, but now let's grab some news from Eric. We'll be right back after this. This is the Rob Report on WDAY. Don't go away. Welcome back. This is the Rob Report on WDAY, 701-293-9000, 888 9709 Email talk at WDAY.com. Right, send me tweets, too, at Rob Port. Give me no lines and keep your hands to we, uh, We're going to talk about House Bill 1169 now. Uh, there was actually a whole, a whole bunch of gun bills that got uh, – a uh, committee hearing last week, uh, but this one is, is sort of the big one. Uh, it's sort of the top of the heat bill. It uh, it would allow concealed carry in North Dakota without a permit. As long as you are not otherwise precluded from carrying a gun or owning a gun or possessing a gun, uh, you, can, you can conceal carry in North Dakota without a permit. Uh, It's House Bill 1169. Sponsor is State Representative Rick Becker of Bismarck, a Republican, of course. And uh, on with me to talk about it is Chris Kopacki. He is with the National Rifle Association. Chris, thanks for your time, first of all. And tell us, why is this legislation important?
1: Afternoon, Rob. Uh, Great to be here with you. Um, This is a bill I like to put out there always early on. This is a bill for law-abiding citizens. It's definitely not for criminals. Um, usually to get a permit, that you have to have, you know, government permission. You have to pay a tax to exercise constitutional right. This removes some of that burden for citizens in North Dakota. And there's a lot of little, I guess, other little factors that go along with this bill. This is for North Dakota citizens. They have to be a citizen for a year, and they can't be a prohibited person. They can't be a convicted of felon. They can't be convicted of domestic battery or abuse. They can't be deemed mentally uh, defective by the by the courts. So, um, again, it really removes a lot of that burden from law-abiding citizens.
0: What about people who argue, and I, I, I want to make it clear, I support this bill. I think it is good legislation. I think currently our concealed weapons laws make it difficult. I, I think for law-abiding people to transport their weapons to say the shooting range or to go out hunting or something like that make it difficult to do so without running afoul of of the law but what about the people who say listen this is just going to open up the doors for a bunch of people have no idea what they're doing with their guns they go out and they buy a handgun because they think it's cool they read in the news that everybody's buying guns so they buy a handgun and now they're carrying it around and they have no idea what they're doing with it uh, and it's going to make our society more dangerous how do you respond to those people
1: Yeah, a lot of the opponents to this claim that any time that we are advocating for any states that try to move towards a permitless carry or a constitutional carry system, that the state's going to turn into the the wild, wild west. And, you know, looking at the 11 states that currently have enacted similar legislation with North, uh, sorry, New Hampshire being the most recent to come on board here in the last couple of weeks, as well as Vermont, who's had permitless carry since 1791, they've never had a permitting system. There hasn't been any evidence or any data to support there's any increase in crime. There's no increase in murder. There's no increase in handgun murders specifically. And I always like to use Arizona as a great case study because we have good data before an accident, and we've got good data after an accident. For example, in 2007 in Arizona, they were showing 464 murders. 265 of those were with handguns, and they passed permitless carry, very similar to North Dakota, in 2010. And the last numbers I have are 2015 numbers, and overall murders are down to 278, and handgun murders specifically, which deal with the permitless carry bill that we're talking about now, we're down to 128. That's over a 50% reduction in handgun murders over about a decade, five years after they passed it in 2010. And most states are very similar to that. As far as there's no evidence of any increase in handgun murders or
0: crimes. 701-293-9000, 888 970 email talk at WDAY.com. So tell me, I, I, I guess the way I look at this, I, I don't have a concealed weapons permit. And I, it's shame on me. I should have gotten one a long time ago. I just, I've never gotten around to it. And But, but part of what scares me is because I don't have one, if I want to go to the shooting range... Uh, you know it's it's very tricky like i'm afraid if if my gun slides under the seat or if i don't have it you know i have an i have an suv so i don't have a trunk so i'm not sure it gets very tricky so because i don't have that concealed weapons permit i'm i'm afraid that you know if i have it in a ca- if you know if i throw a blanket over the case or something that i'm going to get pulled over for a speeding ticket and nailed for a concealed carry permit violate, you know carrying a concealed weapon without a permit and and to me, I look at this law. This would solve that for me, right? Because I'm a legal gun owner, um, you know. And and I wouldn't in inside the state of North Dakota. I wouldn't necessarily have to have that permit. I would be covered, right? I mean, to me, this this removes a lot of the anxiety from lawful gun owners who don't maybe have a concealed weapons permit for whatever reason to be able to transport their guns without fear. No, that's absolutely
1: correct. Um, being a North Dakota resident, uh, assuming this gets enacted. Um, you're right, you wouldn't have to worry about that as much. Prior to that, most states, I think North Dakota is one of them, has some safe passage language and laws about how you can legally transport, but usually it needs to be locked up in a case, usually in your trunk or somewhere outside the, the lunging distance or reaching distance uh, that are commonly referred to. But we've seen cases in other states as well where, you know, if it's still within reach or in a cabin where you don't have a, you know, an actual trunk, um, that can absolutely be a concern.
0: Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, certainly, the I, the gun rights movement has been winning winning a lot of these battles in in recent years. But we still hear from the folks who who you know tell us that you know again, like you said, this is the wild wild west. This is people who have no business carrying around guns. You know, having basically they're just allowed to do whatever. A lot of fear mongering, you know, and, and you're saying that there's nothing here to be afraid of. That in fact, in in states where it's been enacted, crime has gone down. Make that case a little more clearly for us. I mean, articulate to us because again, a lot of people are afraid. You know, you say, well, I, I was, I, I said this, I was talking with a relative recently who is an NRA member, who owns a lot of guns. He does his own reloading. He is a Uh, a gun nut and i say that in a in a positive way right very responsible highly trained with his weapons knows what he's doing and he was expressing a little bit of skepticism about this because he has a lot of expertise with guns and he's a little afraid of people who do not have that expertise walking around with guns you know there is there are fears out there about this
1: no absolutely there are some i guess concerns out there and most of it as you said It comes from misinformation, and that's something that we're seeing from the opponents of this, you know, not just in North Dakota, but anywhere else in the country, is that they really launch a pretty significant misinformation campaign, and they feed on fear and emotion, not on the actual data, not on the actual statistics, not looking at, you know, what other states have done and what's been the result of that. And then to help break that down and beat some of these misconceptions a little bit, I think it's really important to say again that, permanent carried does not change any prohibited person disqualifiers again those convicted of a felony those convicted of domestic abuse uh... those adjudicated mentally defective by the courts still cannot carry they're still prohibited persons in addition this bill does not change any law governing the misuse of a firearm to include illegal brandishing discharge threatening or it doesn't change when force can actually be used to defend oneself or others and additionally This bill doesn't do anything with prohibited places for where a firearm cannot be carried. None of the state laws have changed. Uh, Private property owners can still maintain discretion over their own property, including whether and on what terms to allow firearms into their establishment. So, again, those are all things that we're hearing from the opposition over and over again that you can just carry anywhere you want. There's no laws. Every criminal can now carry. No, you're still a criminal. Um, It doesn't change that whatsoever if you're a disqualified person.
0: Well, we're going to see this bill move forward in the Senate soon. It'll be coming to the Senate floor for a vote. It passed pretty handily in the in the House, few problems there. And I would imagine the same fate awaits it in the Senate. This will go to Governor Burgum's desk. And I, I think that this is going to become law, and it's, it's good policy for North Dakota, and I, I think it's the right way to go. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Certainly appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Pleasure to be here.
0: That's Chris Kopacki from the National Rifle Association. I'm Rob Port. We're going to get some, uh, go to a break, and we'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Port, here on the Rob Report, 701 293 9329 Email talk at wday.com. Jay Thomas Show coming up next. I'll be. Uh, Sticking around, and I think we're going to continue this this concealed carry discussion uh, into that show, so stay tuned for that. Uh, Sean emails, I was talking a little bit about initiated measure reform earlier in the show. Sean uh, sends a message, says, I would be fine with requiring initiated measures to first go through the legislative process with some additional considerations. Currently, a referral can occur for bills that pass. If we are going to study changing the initiated measure process, Let's extend the ability to refer non-appropriations bills that fail, too. Including appropriations bills would be a mess, but allowing a referral of failed policy bills in their final form would be an olive branch to those who feel passionately about the initiated measure as a tool to keep the legislature in check. Uh, The people could achieve a lower bar by referring a failed bill as is. If they don't like the failed form, they could still introduce an initiative measure of their form. Either way, the legislature first weighs in on the matter. Um, yeah, I mean that—that that makes sense to me. That's essentially what I'm proposing. I think a lot of people get bent out of shape about it because, I mean, listen, people—people people sort of fetishize direct democracy, right? I—we have forgotten, and I don't—I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a result of the education system. I—I I don't know. America was not founded as a direct democracy we win in fact our system of government has in place a lot of checks to protect against de- direct democracy we didn't used to popularly elect senators until the 17th amendment um we still don't directly elect the president on the popular vote it's the electoral college that elects the president something that we learned in this last election cycle uh you know we we don't vote on laws directly um at the national level now we do sometimes at the state level and i don't think it's such a good idea i like the idea of electing representatives who then debate these policies for us and i know that runs contrary to the the, the fashionable I, it runs contrary to, to what's fashionable to believe which is that you know all politicians are evil and corrupt and everything else and that's what you know that's what people want to believe and to to some degrees it is true but i i just i, I don't think that the vo- we can rely on the voters when it comes to making law making law that we can rely on them to, to be informed about all the nuances of that possible policy right i mean that's what we're expecting of voters we are expecting voters to know you know about you know the, the nuances of every candidate on the ballot and we elect a lot of people right anybody who actually goes in to vote there's a lot of people on that ballot and i'm guessing a lot of the people on that ballot voters have no idea about right so we're we're not only electing all those people and we expect the voters to be informed about all the people that they're electing and then we also expect them to be informed on complicated pieces of policy that we're putting on the ballot as well it's nonsense right it's, it's what we're getting is, is we're getting a lot of people who are just sort of voting you know On on initiated measures based on maybe a radio ad that they heard or a TV ad that they heard or that ballot description on, on the ballot, which is usually pretty short and certainly not a comprehensive review of all the nuances of the policy, particularly when we're talking about policies that are sometimes dozens and dozens of pages. It's a problem. And I'm I'm sorry. I, I, there are people out there. I, I get I get all sorts of crap every time I tee off on the initiated measure process, but it is a poor way to make public policy. It really is. The legislature is going to initiate a review of the initiated measure process as well. We should. I hope. I hope they water it down and limit it in some ways. And I know people are going to take that as well. Ports against the will of the people. No. I'm in favor of a solid policy making process that that avoids some of the blunders we saw in the last election cycle anyway jay thomas show coming up next remember you can catch me here 1 to 2 p.m monday through friday or 24 hours a day seven days a week at say blog.com thanks for listening we'll talk again